0: Well, friends, it's good to be with you. My name is Adam, and it's my joy to be the senior pastor here. Uh, A buddy of mine moved to Louisiana when he was in third grade, and it's hard being the new kid. And so his parents rented out the whole roller skating rink and invited his entire class, and not a single kid came. Isn't that about the saddest story you've ever heard? Uh, To this day, it's actually hard for my friend to talk about. And uh, the painful thing is that apparently... Everybody else had better things to do. No one likes the feeling of being unprioritized. In our scripture today, Jesus tells a story about a man who threw a party, a party where people were too busy to show up. You know, time is our most precious resource. The hours turn into days, days into weeks, weeks into months, and months into years. At each level, we decide how we're gonna spend our time. How do we decide what's a priority? And what is not? What's worth our time? What opportunities could we be missing out on by choosing something good over God's best? This dilemma isn't a new one. One of the things I love about the Bible is how long it has lasted. The story Jesus tells today is 2,000 years old, but it still speaks to us. I don't know a whole lot of things that, that last quite in the same way. We're going to be reading from the book of Luke, which Sherry read earlier. This is one of the four Gospels, or the biographies of Jesus. And in in the section of Luke, uh, this is an episode in Jesus' life where he's eating dinner at the home of one of the Pharisees. I'm guessing the mood would have been pretty tense. The Pharisees were Jesus' religious and political idols. Uh, idols, rivals. They were his rivals. They didn't like a lot of what he had to say. It challenged their role in society as the religious elite. Uh, he was often critical of the Pharisees and, and their beliefs, the way they treated people, their approach to God. These are all the types of things that will get you crucified, including the story Jesus tells at their dinner table. There was a lot of pomp and posturing going on at this party, I imagine. And Jesus remarks that, well, instead of inviting the most impressive people that you want to be seen with, maybe you should invite folks who have nothing to offer you in return. Not exactly polite dinner conversation that is going to help you make friends and influence people. We'll pick up in verse 15 of chapter 14. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, "'Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God.'" So for this attendee, the kingdom of God is something that's happening in the future. Part of Jesus' main point, his main mission was to announce the arrival of the kingdom of God now. It's already come. So in response, Jesus tells a parable to get the Pharisees to see uh, that they're missing out. Jesus is trying to educate the most impressive and religious folks about just who is in, in God's kingdom. And then it's here and now. So Jesus said to him, someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. So in the first century, uh, uh, the social custom of of an event like this would be to send out an invitation in advance. And so the folks uh, that would have been receiving the next invite had already gotten the first one. So they'd already been invited, they'd already been RSVP'd, yes, and and then the servant comes to announce that it's party time, food's hot, it's on. Everything is ready. Verse 18 says, but they all alike begin to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yokes of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have just been married and therefore cannot come. Okay, so now everybody's got something else going on. In between the first invite and the second one, their circumstances have changed. Each of these three mentioned a legitimate excuse uh, or, or they have legitimate life events happening. But what was it a, a, a true excuse? I just bought some land. What, like you just bought it without going to look at it first? You gotta, you gotta skip out on, on, this, on this feast? That seems odd. Same with the one who bought the oxen. You didn't give him a test drive, right? Like, you you know, just just odd excuses. You have to go look at them right now, right now? The last one just got married. So surely this generous host has another plate for your new bride? Jesus was speaking to an audience who had anticipated the arrival of the Messiah for over a thousand years. The nation of Israel was God's chosen people. They had received the invitation for generations. But now that Jesus was here, many of the most religious people were rejecting that invitation, including many that were sharing a dinner table with Jesus that night. So here comes the shocking twist. So the servant returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And he said, sir, what, what you've ordered has been done. There's still room. Then the master said to the slave, go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who are invited will taste my dinner. So just like my buddy on his birthday as a kid, the host threw a party that people didn't show up to. He threw a party no one decided was worth attending. The original invitees were people of means. They were wealthy enough to buy land or livestock or have a giant wedding. They were a big enough deal to have other options. But having been spurned by all of them, the owner then revises the guest list to include less impressive people. These are people who don't have anything going on to the, to the point of, hey, what are you doing tonight? Oh, nothing, <laughs> come to this dinner. The type of people who don't have much else going on because this is the first time they would have heard about this feast. Yeah, I think as Missourians, we should feel a certain kinship with these people, right? These these are the folks that would have been out in the lanes and streets. They would have lived outside the city. These are kind of the flyover state type people, right? I think we uh, we should appreciate that. And Jesus' audience is a room full of Pharisees at a fancy dinner. One of their main criticisms of Jesus was who he kept company with. This is a great example from Matthew 9. Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? That's what the Pharisees thought of Jesus in his invite list. His implication, Jesus' implication in telling the story, is that the most educated, the most impressive, the most pious people were in danger of missing out. His message was that the kingdom of God wasn't for the few but for everyone. This drove the Pharisees crazy and it it fueled their plot to kill Jesus. The religious insiders were finding out that they were out and that the least likely people would be the ones in. And what was the difference? What qualified the people to come to the master's banquet? It wasn't how impressive they were or how well they had it together. It was their availability. The good news is the kingdom of God isn't just for those who have carried the message of God for 2,000 years leading up to the Messiah's arrival. It's for everyone. But how much of this do we miss out on because we have other priorities? The people in the story all had their excuses. A piece of land, new oxen, and still on the honeymoon. Those are all good things. But they stood in the way of the best thing. I feel like the pandemic has kind of given us a reset both in society and in our own social lives. For a long time, most things on our calendars were either altered or canceled. Right? The cliche goes, absence makes the heart grow fond. Sometimes it's like absence actually makes you realize you really didn't miss it. Have we gotten out of the practice of making time to be available to God? And I realize the irony of me saying that to people who have made themselves available this morning. But that can look lots of different ways. That's not just worship attendance. And I think it's a struggle because Sunday morning is, is no longer sacred in America, if it ever was. Uh, there's no universally recognized sacred time. We're gonna have to intentionally make it for ourselves. My kid played organized sports for the first time this spring. So now I get it. I get, I, I get the struggle of trying to have your kid involved in things and still make time to be available to God. We went up to Lake Viking with some good friends a few weeks ago and uh, spent uh, a Saturday at their lake house out on a boat, came back late Saturday night. And I told them, I said, guys, I get it. If I had access to a lake house 45 minutes from my house, I'd be up there every weekend that I could. I thought that was a great experience for me because now I get it. Just like those that RSVP'd, yes, but then didn't show up to the party, there are lots of things competing for our time and attention and very good things. But we each have to decide, will we offer God our excuses or our availability? And we also model this for our children, whether it's music or academics or sports, all sorts of other things. The competitive nature for our children's time is very real. But just remember friends, For most of their time under our roof, we're in charge because we're the ones with the car. On June 9th, I was ordained an elder in the United Methodist Church. Uh, This means I've been vetted and approved um, to be a pastor, fit for lifelong ministry. Now I was nervous about wearing this robe uh, because I was afraid I'd look like the Kool-Aid man. I don't know if, (laughs) almost wore it today just to get another rep in. Uh, But it turned out better than I thought. And there's some special things about that robe that I wore that day at ordination. It was my dad's, and so that's very special to me. The robe also removes the obstacle of, you know, people being like, oh, what's the pastor wearing? Uh, That's not as big a deal for me. I just wear one of my 18 plaid shirts every week. But, you know, especially women in ministry, they deal with a lot more scrutiny. They deal with a lot more junk than I do when it comes to that stuff. So sometimes the robe is nice just to kind of sidestep any thoughts or random opinions on what you happen to be wearing. But I actually don't like a lot of what the robe represents. Uh, when I'm dressed up differently, it communicates a certain thing, as if you know, I'm like a different species than you, because I'm a pastor. In my view, the robe reinforces the the idea that ministry is for the real professionals, that you have to be an expert, that you have to go to school forever, and spend eight years in a, in a pastoral path to being ordained. So to whatever degree we as pastors reinforce that mindset, I regret that and I wanna to work towards a better understanding. Friends, you don't have to be a pastor to be in ministry. Jesus invites everyone to answer their call. And so what will we offer God? Our availability or our excuses? I think one of the excuses we give to God is that, well, I don't know enough about the Bible or uh, we don't have enough church experience to consider ourselves a leader or to, to be fit for ministry. Again, when the expectation is that you have to go to seminary to do that, that's a mistake. Too often we doubt our potential for ministry because we feel like we lack experience. But remember our scripture, the people who came to the banquet were not there because of their experience or their impressive resumes or their impeccable track records. Friends, it's cliche, but it's true. The best ability is availability. My friend Gina here at church got in touch with me a few months ago and she wanted some recommendations for a Bible study. So so, that's awesome. Tell me what you're doing. I asked her what she was looking for because I was intrigued. She'd had a friend at work at work who had mentioned to her, she tried a Bible study and and it just didn't go great. It was really intimidating and just not a good experience. You know, it's kind of like showing up to a gym for the first time or like the first day at a new school, just, just, it's a tough environment. But Jenna's friends still had a desire to read and understand the Bible. So Gina said, let's put a Bible study together. I'll help you do one. And out of that opportunity, that's grown into a weekly Zoom study with six people from all over the country in her company. All out of an opportunity that she had, and she decided to make herself available. Many of those folks had never done something like this before. And so Gina is making herself available and making a difference in the lives of others. There's a classic gospel song by an artist named Milton Brunson. It's called Available to You. It's one of my favorites. The chorus says, Lord, I'm available to you. My will I give to you. I'll do what you say to do. Use me, Lord, to show someone the way. My storage is empty and I am available to you. Here's a clip. Uh, by a Zoom choir from the North Bahamas Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Check it out. On that again. Fire it up. Fire it back up. We'll get through it. Here we go. Friends, you don't have to be a pastor to be in ministry. You just have to make yourself available. For the next two sermon series, we're gonna be looking at all the opportunities around us to be available to God. I'm convinced there are so many ways that God will use you if you will simply choose to make yourself available instead of making excuses. Don't worry about being invited based on your track record or your prestige or your piety or your expertise because the best ability is availability. And everybody said, amen.